This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Regal Auctioneers. You'll find your greatest wish at Regal Auctioneers. The only limit is your imagination. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's, what would you call this? It's like a wishing week. Wish week. Wish week. It's wish week on Pod Cemetery. We are talking about 1997's Wishmaster and 2017's Wish Upon. If you listen to our Christine episode, you might know ahead of time what we think about Wish Upon. Anyway, before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Well, normally it would be with slash cards, but now we're going to do Trivial Pursuit Horror Movie Edition. All right. Give me what you got. 1960s Eyes Without a Face was filmed in what type of monochrome form? Black and white. That is correct. I got that one. Uh, I don't know if this is just a failing of the game or not, but one of the questions asked a very similar question. Okay. Uh, this isn't your question, but Night of Living Dead 1968 was filmed in what type of monochrome form? Black and white. Yeah, that's not your question. <laughs> your question is, mm-hmm. in Rosemary's Baby 1968, Rosemary deduces that Roman Cassavetes is really Stephen Mercado when told his name is what type of wordplay? An anagram. That is correct. Although they wrote Roman Cassavetti or Castavet. That's what it is. That's his name. Castavet. One of the actors is is Cassavetes. (laughs) Castavet is the name of the... Yeah, I think uh, the main dude. Oh, my God. Hold on. Did I just inadvertently name the the actor in Rosemary's Baby? I think so. I think that's the... Yeah, John Cassavetes. I tried to correct the card, and I was wrong, but not too wrong. All right. Kelsey... Yes. First up is 1997's Wishmaster. Yes. Directed by Robert Kurtzman, written by Peter Atkins, and starring Tammy Lauren, Andrew Divoff, 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 and Robert Englund, and produced by Wes Craven. What is Wishmaster about? A woman inadvertently releases a djinn, and the djinn... It's not very clear, but the djinn has to collect souls. He just gets more powerful the more souls he collects, but he's not really free. Yeah, he's not free until she's done all three wishes. And so he can cast, he can grant people wishes, but he's not free to do what he wants, which is take over the world and turn it into some hellscape. But so long as your wish is... Uh, vague enough, he can make it really bad. Right, and that's the only way he can do anything. He can't use his power unless it's in the form of granting wishes, which I think, honestly, is kind of a neat twist. Mm-hmm. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? It's it's really quite bad, but I enjoyed it a lot. 
I think, I think, I think I love this movie. (laughs) I think you should watch it. It's bad. It's very bad. It's bad. But like good bad. Yes, definitely good bad. (laughs) It's very, very, very obvious that Wes Craven was trying to create a new Freddy Krueger in the form of the Wishmaster. To me, he has he gets to have inventive kills and he gives quips. And at this point, I think New Nightmare wasn't out yet or it had just come out. And so uh, it was considered kind of wrapped up. So, like, why not try to create a new one in 1997? Yeah, I was so shocked. I thought for sure this was early 90s. At the latest. Because it has that feel to it. It, it really does. It's the 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 costumes, the lighting, the makeup. The whole damn movie seems to be ADR'd, which is really weird. It definitely looks like it was made in the late 80s, early 90s, but and it wasn't. It, it actually came out the year after Scream. Yep. Like Wes Craven made Scream, and then a year later... This came out. He produced this. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. But, like, I I imagine, like, this movie was made in, like, 30-something days. 33 days or something like that. Uh So it's not even, like, it was in, you know, production before or whatever. Like, it it was made in practically no time. Anyway, Kelsey and I, I think we think you should see it. Yes. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I think you need Wishmaster in your life. Yeah. So watch it or don't, and when we get back, we will talk about 1997's Wishmaster. For centuries, he has remained hidden, watching, waiting, and now he is coming. He knows your secret hopes, he sees your private dreams, and he can grant your every desire. Well, I'm not a (laughs) greedy man. How about a million dollars? I remember a certain potentate whose last party was talked about for centuries. Oh, God, how I'd love to host a party like that. I wish to be beautiful forever. Even if it kills you. As you wish. Was it worth it? Beg for your life. Help me! Pray for your soul. But whatever you do... Ready to play? Don't make a wish. Wishmaster, careful what you wish for. All right, I feel the need that we need to correct something here. Apparently, it's a it's actually a Mohammedan afrit and not a jinn. They call him a jinn. They do in the movie, but what they're actually describing is an afrit. Okay, which is a different kind of of demon. He comes from Persia, what we now know as uh, Iran. Which apparently Persians always called it Iran. It's just other places called it Persia, and then we just kind of corrected it. Weird. Yeah. Uh huh. So in any case, uh, not technically a jinn, but that's okay. We're gonna refer to him as jinn throughout the rest of this because that's what the movie does. Mm-hmm. What happens in Wishmaster? Why don't you get us started, Kels? It has a really funny opening. There's like flames, and then like. They keep putting the credits over, like, the imagery that we're supposed to be looking at. This is, like, really hard to read. We get some narration that tells us about where Jin come from. They're basically 
this being that comes from fire that walks between the void between the worlds. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why it's an Efreet, because I know Efreet are fire-based. This narrator is Angus Scrim, who is the bad guy from Phantasm. Oh, okay. Did we do Phantasm in the show? No. Okay. We watched it not too long ago. Before we did the show. Yeah, oh, that's a bummer. I wish we could talk about that on here. Yeah, he says, Once in a time before time, God breathed life into the universe, and the light gave birth to angels, and the earth gave birth to man, and the fire gave birth to the jinn. Creatures condemned to dwell in the void between the worlds. One who wakes a jinn shall be given three wishes. Upon the granting of the third, the unholy legions of the jinn shall be freed upon the earth. Fear one thing only in all that is. Fear the jinn. So then we get this actual scene, and it's in Persia, and it's way back in the past. It takes no time to get nuts. Yeah, uh, we open up on this big party, and we hear this guy say, jinn astonish me show me wonders meanwhile all these people are running around just being ripped apart yeah these are the wonders that the jinn is showing him that's what he's using uh this this really vague wish to do whatever he wants Mm -hmm. and basically his mentality the jinn's mentality is if i can get you in a situation that you hate you'll wish to get out of it Mm -hmm. and that will be two wishes right there which I mean is basically any story about wishes. Yeah. If you I mean if you comb through our history of movies and books and stories about wishes, that's exactly what happens. Too bad Wish Upon didn't get the fucking memo. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, and it's just nuts. People are coming apart in crazy ways. This one guy like his skeleton is coming out of that his skin. That was so fucking cool. His skin like rips off the skeleton and the skeleton pops out. It starts with his arm and then it's his face. And it was so awesome. I thought it was really well done. And it got me wondering, okay, who's responsible for this movie? This is going to take like a minute, okay? Robert Kurtzman is the director of this movie. He's the man who's killed by the piano wire at the museum gala. He hasn't directed much, but he's done either makeup or effects For these movies, Evil Dead 2, Predator, Phantasm 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, (laughs) Halloween 5, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface, Misery, Dances with Wolves, Tremors, The People Under the Stairs, Army of Darkness, Maniac Cop 3, Badge of Silence, (laughs) The Jungle Book from 1994 when Mowgli's an adult and it's basically a Tarzan story. Hey, I like that movie. So do I. Pulp Fiction, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Scream, From Dusk Till Dawn, Boogie Nights, Spawn, The Faculty, the 1999 version of House on Haunted Hill, Vanilla Sky, Bubba Hotep, Bad Boys 2, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, John Dies at the End, Tusk, It Follows, The Bye Bye Man, and Gerald's Game. Dude does effects or makeup for all. All of those things. So it's no wonder that this movie made in just over a month still has some like relatively impressive effects. 
Wow. Yeah. That's quite the resume. It's a real big resume. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the scene in Persia, everyone's fucking dying. A dude turns into a snake. (laughs) Um, So... The, this wizard guy, who has nothing to do with the jinn, and he never comes back, uh, comes in to talk to his king or whatever the fuck they are, sultan, and he's just like, "You need to don't um, don't wish for anything else." And he's like, "But my people." And he goes, "No, you. If you let him, if you do another wish, he'll take over the world." Yeah, and he's like, "All right." And so he traps him in this fire opal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's where the fire opal comes from. Otherwise, he's just a a genie. Like, he's just a djinn. He's just, like, out and about, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how they, they kept him around before that. I, know, that I, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, well, where did he come from in the first place? Yeah, they don't say. And it doesn't matter. It's okay. So... Move on to the future, the present of 1997, and we have Robert England, who is a rich asshole who likes to buy um, really expensive art, basically. Yes, Raymond Beaumont. Yes, and so he's explaining that he's getting the statue of this god, and he's very excited because these gods were outlawed by Islam, so they're extremely rare. So he was very excited to get Especially it. since this one in particular was made after that banning. Oh. That was why this one was especially rare. Not only did it, you know, like other ones would survive that, this one was actually made after that. Oh. But it doesn't matter because the dude who works there was drunk and <laughs> fucked it up and the thing fell and the statue broke. But you see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I wrote down, Ted Raimi got crushed and no one seems to care. Even you, Kelsey, <laughs> don't seem to care that Ted Raimi got crushed. It's hilarious. <laughs> like right away. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, the statue. There is a dead man. <laughs> So a construction worker, or whatever the hell he was, uh, sees that in one of the shards of this statue, out pokes this fire opal. He has no idea what it is. He just sees a gem of uh-huh. some kind and sees money. So he grabs it, goes to a pawn shop. The pawn owner guy totally screws him, gives him a couple hundred bucks. Then he takes it to a real auctioneer. The pawn shop guy does, yeah. Yeah. And... The auctioneer. Before we get to the auctioneer part. Sorry, I was skipping ahead. Is this the tennis bit? This is the tennis scene. Uh. So we have a tennis scene with some amazing 90s music (laughs) playing. We've got this chick and this guy who are best friends playing tennis. And he keeps bothering her to get her to go out with him. And she keeps saying, like, no, you're my friend. No, I don't see you as anything else. No, I don't want to ruin our friendship. And he just doesn't give up, and it's supposed to seem charming, and it's really And you're supposed to think that she's a bitch for saying no. Right. Oh, she'll come around. Like, nah, man. It's not cool. (laughs) We just can't escape. We can't escape it. It's, It's everywhere. Right. At least that's, like... Mild persistence. It's a bad look and it's a bad message to be sending to people. But like, 
you know, she wasn't actually harmed. Or I mean, anyway. he literally says, she says, you're my best friend. He goes, that's such an old excuse. Yeah, that's really shitty, dude. Fuck you. Yeah. I don't uh-huh. want to date you. Why is this so hard to comprehend? Anyway. And he even says, like, I'm going out on a limb here for you. Yeah. Like, what a piece of shit. Uh-huh. Anyway. It's okay. He's going to die, Kelsey. It's true. Um, So. She works for an appraisal company, which works with the auctioneer. So the guy brings the opal to the auctioneer, and he has it uh, taken to the appraisal place. As she's appraising it, she notices something inside it and tries to figure out what it is. She like, breathes on it and, and then wipes, wipes it, it on her shirt. Which is what they do in every fucking movie with, yeah. with genies. Uh-huh. Is that how you waken like, them oh, up? let me clean this. <sighs> I don't understand. Rub, 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 rub. So, yeah, she awakens the djinn, but dude can't get out yet. For some reason. Yeah, they don't explain it. But it's important that this happened because that means that she, Alexandra, is responsible for having woken him. Yes. And that means she's super fucking important because she's the one that he needs to get the three wishes from. Yeah. So she's like, oh, shit, there might be something wrong with this opal. So she takes it to that guy we just met, her best friend, which I don't really understand what he does for a living. But He's a lab worker of some sort. And he, he uses his machinery to run scans to see what it's made out of and to make sure that it's the real deal. And while he's doing that. That somehow sets his lab on fire. He uses a laser to like scan it or whatever. And that plus the gin trying to get out causes it to explode, which sets the lab on fire. So he's like in a lot of pain, like he's dying and the gin comes out and he's this crazy looking thing. Uh huh. I don't know what he was supposed to be. It is of all things, not what you see on the cover of this movie. <laughs> I don't get, I don't know what that is that you see on the cover of this movie, but it's certainly not the gin. <laughs> so he comes out and he's like, he looks at this guy who's dying and he's like, am I right to think that you don't want to have this pain anymore? And he goes, yeah. So you'd think, oh, he's going to kill him. But no, he makes him suffer for way longer after yeah. that. So that's not really granting the wish. But he did make the pain stop. He just made it worse and then stopped it. And then meanwhile, our main chick, like, ah, <laughs> puts her hands up to her face. Okay. And she's just like, ah. And this happens basically every time he grants a wish. <laughs> so just assume that we say that from here on out. <laughs> so then we get to see what he looks like normally. And I swear to God, he looks like a combination of, like, the evil characters from the movie Legend and from Halloween Town. Like, I know you love this, guys. He looks he looks like the new Nightmare version of Freddy. Well, he looks worse than that. No, but I mean, that's the type of makeup work we're talking about, where it seems a little bit too dry. He looks kind of like rubber. Yeah. Not a great look. Legend and Halloween Town. Oh, God, a cheap Halloween Disney channel. Not that channel bad. Movie. Not that bad. And then an 80s fantasy film. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I feel like this movie, I feel like they desperately wanted it to be like Hellraiser-esque. Yeah. And it doesn't ever reach that level. No. It looks too cheesy. Well, it's not. It's also not rated R, I don't think. Is it? It might be rated R. 
I don't know. Shit. Is it rated R? Because if it is, it didn't use that rating very well. It is rated R. Shit. <laughs> like, I felt like it desperately wanted to be Hellraiser. And yeah. it just never reached that high. <laughs> anyway. See, that's funny. I thought it desperately wanted to be Nightmare. <sighs> it made me think way more of Hellraiser. Anyway. So, then, I don't know, he's, like, walking around, and, like, there's this bum who tries to get into this restaurant. No, it's it's a, it's a like, a CVS-type store. It's like and a drugstore. He curses, like, every other word. I know we curse a lot, but, like, this is, like, ridiculous. When the guy finally kicks him out or sends him away, he says, I hope you die, you sack of shit. I hope you die, and I hope you float down the gutter. float down the gutter so I can fucking piss on you. Bald-headed baboon. Piss-complected afterbirth of a Chinese gangbanger. Educated idiot! And so he's walking away, and the djinn sees him, and he's like, let me ask you, did you actually mean all that stuff you just said? He's like, you're damn right I did. And he's like, well, how about you actually say that to me? Make a wish. And he says, I wish he would get cancer and die. And then he does immediately, and it looks super painful. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And then again, the chick. Ah! Yes. (laughs) Hands to the face. He has a, the djinn has a great line here because after the bum realizes, oh my God, you actually did that. He like runs away and he has this little like sentence and he's just like, run insect. And then he takes a long drag on a cigarette and he Uh says, tell them quickly while you still have a soul. See, do you see what I mean? This movie is so awesome. It's hilarious. It is Full of lines like that. Full of them. Yes. So then we meet her sister, who is so 90s, I can't handle it. (laughs) With her hair and her makeup and her outfit. Oh, my God. Shannon. Yes. And then they, we get into their backstory and, like... Her the main chick like saved her sister from a fire, but couldn't save the parents. It's a yeah, little confusing. It's just so we, so she has this thing about fire, which is going to kind of come up later. Yeah, and it brings up like you know you need to go back to therapy. Now you're having nightmares again because she tells her sister you know like all this weird shit. All the happening visions to me. she's having, yeah. And she's like, it's happening all over again. You need to get back into therapy. Um, and she goes, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like last time. But something is going on. Something bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, my God. And then we get to see her fucking room. And it is like a 90s witch bedroom out of Charmed and the Craft. Yep. I don't know why. So is, though. <laughs> yeah. But it, I don't know why. It just is. Um... So Alex is dead. The cop, there's a cop that gets involved. He has a tiny little subplot. We'll bring him up later. Who desperately wants to be an amazing actor and is yeah. not at all. <laughs> um, but Shannon recommends that she consult with Beaumont. Why? About 
the gem because she thinks the gem had something to do with the explosion. Mm. And so she's like, oh, consult with the gem or what, or consult with Beaumont. He knows about this kind of weird shit. He has this collection of a bunch of stuff. This is Robert Englund. So she goes to talk to him. And I got to say, he needs to be in more horror movies that aren't Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, he is made for horror movies. And I love it. <laughs> I'm here for it. So... He says, you need to go to Wendy. Like, okay, so there's a lot of these little moments that pass by really, really quick <laughs> where it's, you know, dude finds the gem. He takes it to a pawn shop. Pawn shop takes it to the auction house. Auction house gives it to the appraiser. The appraiser gives it to the lab tech, and then it explodes and the dude gets out. And now in this, I have this gem and I don't know what's up. Tells her sister. Sister tells her to go to Beaumont. Beaumont tells her to go to Wendy. Wendy is this professor, professor of folklore, and that she'll know all about this stuff. So the professor tells her about the djinn and the history of the djinn. And Alexander says, a djinn? A genie? And Wendy says, now hold on a minute. Forget what our culture is made of the djinn. Forget Barbara Eden. Forget Robin Williams. To the peoples of ancient Arabia... A gin was neither cute nor funny. It was something else entirely. It was the face of fear itself. Meanwhile, the gin's just kind of wandering around, racking up uh, souls. He goes into a store and, like, finds this beautiful woman. Well, first he gets a body. Yeah, he has from to get a morgue. body. From the morgue. From, yeah. And, and he makes that guy go blind. He's like, oh, would you wish Which, you'd... Which, that really bothered me. So this guy, so he's trying to put together a body. I don't know. They don't really explain it. And this dude who works there comes in and he and he's like, oh my God, what am I looking at? And the guy and the gin goes, am I right to assume you would like to not see what, uh, what I'm doing right now? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he goes, yeah, but he doesn't say I wish it. Nobody says I wish anything, Kelsey. You got to let that go. I wish just means I want. That's all it means. We're talking about how you don't know what a genie is. It's not a genie. It's a djinn, which is where our tales of genies come from. Just like they're not happy-go-lucky, grant-you-wish type people, they're all, they also don't require you to say, I wish. Forget Barbara Eden. Forget Robin Williams. Mr. Aladdin, <laughs> sir, what will your, your pleasure be? Anyway. So, yeah, so he makes that guy go blind. He walks into a store, finds this beautiful girl, and he says, "It's you're so beautiful. Isn't it terrible that you're going to lose your beauty eventually? Wouldn't you wish that you could have your beauty forever? And he go, and he's like, you have to say it. Uh, no, she just has to say it. Sometimes they have to say it, and sometimes they don't. No, she says, yeah. I'm pretty sure she says, I wish I was beautiful forever. So he turns her into a mannequin. <laughs> So he's desperately trying to find our main girl. Yeah. The Jin is, because he wants her to make her wishes. So he goes to the police station. I forget how he finds out that she's been in touch with the police. Yeah, I don't know. Probably about the death, but anyway, of her friend. So he goes there and he's trying to get the cop to just tell him. Because that's what cops do. Yeah. And he's just like, no, I'm not going to fucking tell you shit. But then they see this guy in there, and he's being questioned. He's like, man, look at that guy. He's he's obviously this murderer, but we just can't seem to convict him because there's just no witnesses or there's not enough evidence. And Yeah, goes, I just I, just once I, I wish we could get him on murder one with solid witnesses, with eyewitness account or whatever. 
And he goes, so do you wish that you could have that happen? And he goes, yeah. And so the guy goes crazy and starts shooting up. He grabs a cop's gun and starts shooting everyone up and everyone attacks him. And this is where he grabs a dude by his jaw, by his mouth and just rips out his jaw, which was awesome. Yes, it was. It was way awesome. And then so our guy shoots the dude dead in a righteous kill. And in the in all the fracas, the djinn whose name is now Nathaniel, I think. And he's the worst actor of all time. That's Andrew Devoff. That's it's the guy behind the mask. Yeah, he's awful. Oh, well, he's awful so when good. when he's um a human. Well, he's supposed to be like super cheesy, and that's the thing. That's what I love about this movie and its lines. It's so cheesy, but all the lines are just like dripping with camp. Yes. The shit just hit the fan, didn't it? And I love that. And he is totally invested in that. He's not trying to be realistic. He's trying to be campy. And he's very much succeeding. True. And he's got this, like, really, really deep voice going on to him. Yes, he does. Anyways, in all the hubbub, he looks in the dude's files and pulls out her business card, which directs him back to the auction house. So he goes to the auction house and he runs into Kane Hodder, who is Jason, most famously, Jason. The security guard? The security guard is Jason from Friday the 13th. I love this scene and I hate this scene. Yeah. So this is where we get this moment that really defines the Wishmaster for us. So he tries to get by the security guard and the security guard's like, nuh-uh, you ain't getting by. You're going to have to go through me, you know, or whatever. And and he's like, what are you going to do, you know? He's trying to manipulate him into making a wish. Yes. And he says, you know what I wish? That you would leave. Oh, that's it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And so yeah. he's forced to turn and walk away. And it's so great because he's like, no, no, I must yes. get inside. Yes, but he's walking away like <laughs> stiffly as he says this. I want you to leave. No, no. I have to get inside. And then the then the security guard goes, yeah, to get through here, to get into here, you'd have to get through me, and I'd really like to see that. Well, now you'd have to go through me. <laughs> and that is something I would love to see. And the dude's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns away, and he turns him basically into stained glass. Oh, it's really bad. It's really, it's the worst effect in the entire movie, and it's walks really right bad. through him. I think it would be a better if they did a stained glass effect on the glass door and just made him, like, walk through him. You know? Like, open the door. Not just, like, just walk, and then this weird effect. Yeah, he becomes, like Chris said, like shattered glass, but it's a really bad effect. It's a very bad effect. So then he talks to the the owner of the auction house, and he sees a little artifact on it in order to prove to him, because the guy's like, no, I'm not going to give you her fucking address. Are you insane? And he's like, you know, to show his power, to prove his power, he's like, do you wish this was worth more than it is? Or whatever. He's like, yeah, of course I do. And he just turns it into gold, and then when the dude like tilts it over there's diamonds inside and he's like holy fuck how'd you do that and he's like what would it take to get that address and the guy's like this is all bullshit how about a million dollars and so we cut to the auctioneer guy his mom (laughs) filling out an insurance form and then immediately getting on a plane 
which blows up in midair. <laughs> hilarious and that's how he gets his million dollars but he dies before he can enjoy it anyway in a party scene that we'll see later on oh no 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 not in a party scene he gets his soul taken away from him later on i don't really know what happens here because so she well what happens is she goes she goes to talk to wendy the teacher and when she shows up Oh, that's right. She keeps asking, the, the teacher keeps asking her, can I get you something? Yes, and basically she, trying to get her to, to ask for something, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she she figures out that it's the gin and is like, no, I'm not going to ask you for anything. And we find out that she's dead. Uh, and then he, to prove himself that he can grant her wishes, uh, he says, I'll give you one free wish. And she's like, fine, kill yourself. And he's like, blow your brains out right now. And he's like, all right. And he shoots himself in the head. And, and then it just heals over. And he says, that which is eternal cannot die. Yes. And he says, but if it, if it makes you feel any better, that, that really fucking hurt or whatever it is that he says. That which is eternal cannot die. But if it's any consolation, sweet Alex, that hurt like hell. So then she says, okay, I wish to know what you are. And that's a bad choice because then she gets put into his world inside the fire opal and ooh is it bad it is this weird red hallway that looks like it's out of fucking star trek and not in a good way oh yeah like bad star trek sets yes you wish to know what i am to you i am this the cry of the abandoned child the whimper of the whipped beast and we see because he's collected everyone's souls who he's granted wishes to so far and we see like these things happening to them as he's saying this stuff I am the face that stares back at you from the shadows of your mirror yeah this didn't make you think of Hellraiser the hollowness of the heart the hollowness at the heart of all your hopes Alexandra I am despair yeah, because he does that like really deep voice thing that sounds like Pinhead. Mm-hmm. And because he's all. And all the people are being tortured. Right, but he's also like, I am God, or this is God. You know, like he's that kind of. He's not like, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny, like Freddy Krueger is, mm-hmm. but he's not totally Pinhead either. He's kind of like a mix between the two, mm. I would say. I don't understand, like, why wouldn't you just wish him into the opal? That would have been my next wish. I'm yeah. Like, I wish you to be stuck in there again. Yes. But she doesn't. Um, so, how does she get out? Uh, her first wish is she wishes to get out. Oh, okay. So, she, so that's actually her second wish. So she wishes again to get out. She's, like, escaping and, like, running away, I think, in her car. And he goes after her, and he grabs onto the side of her car, and he goes, going my way. See what I mean? He's Freddy Krueger. <laughs> going my way. <laughs> That's exactly it. At this point, I wrote, how does this movie exist? <laughs> it's so good. So... She is worried about her sister because the dude threatened her sister. That's right. And she knows her sister is going to this party that Beaumont's throwing. Yep. And so she goes too, and so does the gin. They wind up there separately. The gin puts the candy man in a Houdini. Yep. Candyman's tra- there. Yeah. <laughs> as the uh, doorman. The name is Valentine. Johnny Valentine. You remember that when they asked. How you lost your eye. And he manipulates the guy into wishing that he wasn't 
a doorman. No, he wishes for something else. Like, he wishes for to escape. Oh, wishes to escape. And so, yeah, he puts him into the... The Houdini straight jacket in uh, a tank of water trick. And he's like, Houdini did it in two and a half minutes. Do you know how Houdini did it? Uh, Yes, when his wife kissed him, she had the key in her mouth. And then so they transferred the key to his mouth when that how could he when they kissed. It? Huh? But if his Oh, so he had it in his hands? No, he used it the, the, the lock is like up here and he would manipulate it with his hands in front of him and, and unlock it with his with the key in his mouth. So he totally tricked so Oh, he totally, he totally cheated, yeah. Uh-huh. But that's kind of what Houdini did a lot. Not to get off on a tangent, he dedicated his life to exposing tricksters but he was a trickster no he was a magician and that's different he put on a show for people what he didn't like is people that took advantage of others and scammed them and so he would expose these scams and stuff like that but isn't he scamming people he's putting on a show and they need to figure out how he does it that's the point he's not saying like I can talk to the dead, give me money, and I can tell you what your grandma thinks. Like, he's not doing that. And so he's, he dedicated his life to exposing those people because he felt what they were doing was really harmful. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, so they get to the party and he starts killing people, right, basically? Well, because Beaumont says basically the same thing, that he'd like to see such sights Oh, or no, he says, I wish I could throw a party that would be heard about for centuries Right, come. because the Wishmaster goes, I was at a party once where all this <laughs> crazy shit happened and everyone <laughs> talked about it. He's like, oh, I wish I had one of those. He's like, okay. <laughs> so then all these people, as we get kind of the same thing, a bunch of people being tortured again. And so she goes after him and he, she finds out that he has... Uh, stuck her sister in a painting. Yes, of a burning house. A la the witches. Yes, yes. Sticking people in paintings. Yep, uh uh-huh. But going back to the fact that Alexandra, Alex, saved her sister from a burning house but couldn't save her parents. Uh, And so now this is like building up anxiety in her. This is also after she runs from all these statues, which I think best effect in the entire movie. Those guys looked like they were real statues. Yeah, so very again, good. Beaumont has collected art over yeah, the years. Uh-huh. So he has a bunch of these statues. statues that come to life and start attacking her, which is kind of cool. And he's trying to convince her to to have her her third wish and he's like my patience is wearing thin and she says what are you going to do kill me? Where's your third wish then? And his response is I don't need you dead, Alexandra. I just need you to wish you were. What are you gonna do? Kill me? Where's your third wish then? I don't need you dead, Alexandra. I just need you to wish you were. Oh, that's so good! That line is like the line of the movie for me. It is incredible. It's like perfectly structured. I love it so much. And so she figures out what her last wish is going to be. But, God, somebody says fuck it, and I wish I knew who it was. I think it's the Wishmaster. Yeah, the Wishmaster says fuck it at one point, and I I don't remember why. But yeah, at some point the Wishmaster says, oh, fuck it. It's so so great. He has a lot of personality. He does. Don't approve. All right, then. Fuck it. You know what I say. If you can't beat him... 
Burn them, baby. So then she's like, okay, I wish that the guy hadn't been drunk on the day that he took out the 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 um statue. And he's excited because she finally makes her third wish and he goes to do it and then he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he realizes what's going to happen and he's going to be in that opal inside that statue for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. Or so he thinks. And so we think. It makes me wonder, how does every movie in the Wishmaster series not end by just wishing that the thing that brought him back didn't happen? Yeah. How is that not the ending to every movie now? Mm-hmm. She goes back, and now she's with her best friend, now their relationship, because... Oh, yeah, she's super committed, and she surprises him, because they haven't had that conversation yet, by saying she wants to date him. And he's like, what? And, like, she's all forward, and he's, like, taken aback, and... It's supposed to make it seem like she's empowered and like she's her inhibitions are gone and she can live the life the way she wanted to. And what she's always wanted was to actually be with him and that she was just she was just too inhibited. She wasn't like it's gross again. I wish it didn't end like that. But and after the credits, if you watch through all the credits, it ends by saying, be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to see the rest of these. (laughs) If only for the kills and to see how bad the sequels get. <laughs> Kelsey doesn't want to see the rest of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Yes. Lightning round. I think I got everything I wanted to say. Uh, there are a few things. I love when computers in older movies talk for no reason. <laughs> oh, the computer graphics Josh's computer. were so silly. <laughs> you know... It'll it'll say things that there's no way a computer was programmed to say back then. And like, yeah, it's just I love that. Uh, one of the statues in Robert Englund's collection is Pazuzu from The Exorcist. There is actually a statue in the movie The Exorcist of Pazuzu that they're digging up when they go to I think it's a rack in that movie. Probably. Um, and that's in his collection for some reason. There are a bunch of other cameos. I said Kane Hodder. I said Angus Scrim. I said the director, I said Ted Raimi, but also Reggie Bannister, who was also in Phantasm. He was the pharmacist. The homeless man is an actor by the name of George Buck Flower. So there are a lot of like industry cameos in this movie. And there's another line that I really like when Alex is talking to Wendy as the gin. She says, if there's no hope, no magic, I'll have to rely on myself. And Wendy Jin says, match wits with the creature older than time. Match wits with the prince of the dark dominions. Pitch your tiny 20th century mind against one who walked the spaces between the worlds and trod the wings of angels beneath the ki- beneath his conquering feet. Alexandra, you're a delight. <laughs> really, you are. <laughs> And it was really, really, really bothering me where I had seen the main character, Alexandra, before, and I just couldn't figure it out. And it's because I haven't seen her in anything before. She is, though, like a hybrid between uh, Anna Klumsky and Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan being Seven of Nine from Star Trek Voyager. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like with those eyes and then Anna Klumsky with the ears and her hair the way they are and like the general shape of her face. Like you merge those two together and... You get this actress. I just thought that that was interesting. So, Kelsey. Yes. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I saw it. 
What do you think it is? It was like 24. 23. <laughs> Overrated or underrated? Underrated. By quite a bit, I would say. I think I'm going to rate this higher than you are. What would you give it? I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Yeah. It's terrible. Right. Part of me think part of it is on purpose, but part of it's not. Yes. So I'm going to give it a 57. I'm going to give it a 78. Oh, my God. I loved this movie. Wow. I absolutely loved it. And I like really I said, liked it, but like I it's said, terrible. I really want to see the other ones. Okay. But, you know, I told you about that inverse parabola where, like, the worse it gets, the better it gets. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's just fun fun it is it's really fun fun. and it's another movie where they can make the kills fucking anything and just seeing what they come up with is a lot of fun there is no consensus review on rotten tomatoes unfortunately there's also no metacritic and no cinema score that was 1997's wishmaster kelsey slash cards trivial pursuit trivial pursuit (laughs) what real life magician Played the magician in 1980s Terror Train. Um, David Copperfield. That is correct. He made the Statue of Liberty disappear. He really did. <laughs> I'm trying to did. remember. He does like a quarter trick or something. He does something that's totally impossible on the train. He does a lot of things that are impossible. He does the cigarette through the quarter thing, which oh. is very possible. <laughs> it's a thing that they do. Um... Yeah, he does a few things that are totally impossible. All right, Kelsey. Yes. The leader of the skinheads in Green Room 2015 is played by what former Star Trek actor? Captain Jean Luc Picard. I knew it. You you only know his name (laughs) of the character, don't you? Of the USS Enterprise. Enterprise. (laughs) Uh, fuck. What is his real name? What's the name of the saint that drove the snakes out of Ireland? Patrick. Oh, Patrick Stewart. Thank you. <laughs> Good, Kelsey. Good job. Captain Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc Picard, Picard of the USS Enterprise. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. All right, Kelsey. Yes. Moving on, we're going to talk about 2017's <sighs> Wish Upon, directed by John R. Leonetti, written by Barbara Marshall, and starring Joey King, Ryan Philippi, and Ki Hong Lee. What is Wish Upon about? About a girl who is given a box from ancient China that grants seven wishes, but every time you make a wish, someone dies. And on the seventh wish, the blood price is paid. Meaning that the wisher dies. Yeah. Like, okay. Should people watch this movie? No. 
Thank you, God, you hesitated for a second there, and I was like... I don't think it's nearly as incredibly bad as everyone says No, it is fucking garbage. It's not the hospital one. It's not the lesbian vampire angels one. It's not that bad. No. It's not that bad. But it's, Which is what everyone made it sound like it no, was going to be. it's not. But it it feels to me like it just, like, it, it, it's a good idea. It just doesn't know what it's doing. Well, it's the monkey's paw. Yes. It's nothing oh, original. It's absolutely the monkey's paw. It's the, the W.W. Jacobs short story is the monkey's paw. The Twilight Zone did, a, did an episode like this. Fuck, The Simpsons did it. Uh-oh, Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. No, no. At least the Wishmaster had a fun twist on the concept. Yes. Like, it had a couple good twists on the concept. This, and and the monkey paw, is the idea is you get your wish, but maybe it's not as good as you thought it would be. No, the monkey's paw, it's not that somebody dies, it's that something really bad happens. Right, it turns your wish on you. Is what is what it does. Like it just. Oh yeah, you got your wish, but like in The Simpsons, I wish that there was world peace, and then they so they burn all their weapons, and now they have nothing to defend themselves from extraterrestrial invasion, and so like that's how it twists your wish on you, you know. So that's how this is supposed to go. This movie does instead like the button, where you know you get something you want, and then somebody dies. The box. The box, it's not yeah. The button, it's the box. I, I wasn't trying to name the movie. I was just naming the concept. But yes, you're right. The box, where you know you get a million dollars and somebody dies. You know, this is you get your wish and somebody dies. But but we're also gonna kind of turn the wishes against you too. Like we're gonna do that as well. Like it it was just really unfocused, like super unfocused. But don't watch the movie unless you already have. When we get back, we'll talk about 2017's Wish Upon. It's given me everything. Money, love. At what cost? You have to get rid of it. Everything will be fine! Wish Upon, rated PG-13, July 14th. Kelsey, mm-hmm. what happens in Wish Upon? I mean, it's basically just what we said, right? Like, that's... <laughs> Let's just end it here. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. Okay. So we open on the mom of our main girl throwing something away, which apparently Chris didn't realize was I the box. totally missed that. <laughs> Very obvious. Totally missed it. Um, he even commented on the trash cans. Yeah. Who has trash cans like that anymore? Nobody. I agree. I mean, even back then when that happened, which was in the late 90s. Yeah. No, not even. Because this happened in 2017. It was like the early 2000s. Yeah. Nobody has. Nobody had cans. those metal trash cans like that. Anyway, so she goes to go throw it away. And then uh, right after that, she goes and hangs herself. And the daughter walks in when it happens. So that's pretty fucked up. And, like, she was riding around on her bike. And so to show us that time has passed, they show the bike going from brand new to being totally worn down. But it's, it's left still in, in the, the same exact place. Yeah. same position. 
it doesn't work as a device. It really doesn't. It's like a storytelling device. She just never picked up her bike again? No. (sighs) Anyway, she's riding by. She's riding to school. This is the now teenage Claire, played by Joey King, who is the bright, refreshing light of this movie, in my opinion. She's the best part of it. Oh, I didn't think she was very good. The movie's not very good, Kelsey. (laughs) Anyway... She's riding by on her bike, and she says hi to her Uncle August, who she's not allowed to speak to for some reason that we never get. Literally never find out. Never find out. But he's, like, super rich. We should probably talk about that this movie was written by Barbara Marshall, and I've heard it from several sources that it's, it's on what's called the Hollywood Blacklist, which is basically a collection of scripts that are really good but that nobody's making. And... I, I feel like a lot of this movie's problems came from them trying to, like, make changes to it so it could get made or something. Because there's no way in hell this script was on the blacklist. Because this script is not good. Because there's a lot of dangling threads like that that go nowhere. That they bring up several times. And it's never explained. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, wh- uh, I thought for sure... For sure, that's where the dad found the box because it looked like it was in front of the crazy uncle's house and that that's how he got all of his money. But it never even fucking hints at it. It never explicitly says or shows that that's where he finds the box. Like, it just they just never go there. And the reason that we find this out is because she then has a conversation with her father at her school because he is digging through trash in front of her whole school. What he does, he's a scavenger. And, and he collects things in dumpsters and he tries to fix them up and resell them or recycle them. But he ends up just hoarding. Yes. He's just kind of become a hoarder. But the guy he's with always sells it at the swap meet. Yeah. Um, and she like goes over there in front of everybody and is like, don't do this at my school. But it's like nobody was paying attention to them until you brought attention to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then she goes in and we meet her two best friends. One is a major gamer, which will come up later on her phone. And there's no way in hell she's unpopular. No way in hell. She is gorgeous and she's funny and she's smart and quippy and no. Yeah. No. And the Uh, other friend is? Barb from Stranger Things. Yeah. Who's, you know what? I'm sorry. I like her in this probably most. (laughs) She's made this big poster and then the popular girl spills her drink on it on purpose. Yeah, this is also after that the popular girl, when driving to school, runs her off the road, which is why she falls and talks to her uncle. And she's like, I'm trying to drive here. So she's just a total she's bitch. She's just a total bitch, unrepentant for no reason. They give her no character and no motivation. Just whenever she's on the screen, she needs to be as awful as she can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And it's just unbelievable. I know that there are assholes at that age. I understand that, but there's no depth. There's nothing here. Nothing, 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 nothing. She's just an unbelievably awful bitch, and they give her no reason to be. Who has two best friends of her own, one of which is dating the guy that our main character Claire has a crush on for some inexplicable reason. He seems like he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. and he's handsome. And then some gay kid who just... 
walks around videotaping everything yeah. on his phone. He he records and takes pictures of everything because this is the Graham culture, Kelsey. Yes. Although they use some stand-in, which is the worst thing ever. The stand-in for Instagram slash a text messenger program something where people have live conversations in chat rooms I think it's on top of to photos. Be, I think it's supposed to be like um, Snapchat. Yeah, but they don't go away. Well, like, they, that's go, the they thing. stopped going away. Right. You can have stories now if anybody even uses it anymore. Right. But the point is, it's trying to be like a new version of a social media thing. And it's totally unintelligible. It's very difficult to read. I literally had to pause it and get up close to the TV to see what they said. Like, I don't know how people saw it in the theater. And the guy that she has a crush on is in her Chinese class, which is hard to believe. Like. We don't have very many uh, Chinese classes anymore. But. Yeah, I thought that that was kind of a cool thing. Yeah. I would have taken Chinese, I think, if it was an option. Maybe Japanese, if that was an option. So then she goes to lunch, and she calls the popular girl Smegma, and the guy, her friend gets it all on tape and then posts it inexplicably Oh, because they, they get into a, a fight. Yes. Which has no consequences. Well, yeah, they get into this big brawl, and yeah, it goes neither, nowhere. Neither of you can get in trouble. I think it's meant to show that she's not afraid to stand up for herself. Yeah, which would be awesome, except they don't use it at all for yeah. anything. Yeah, like you're right. That's really cool. Like I was, I couldn't believe that this early on in the movie, she was like, "Oh, you want to know what I said? I called you Smegma. Would you like me to define it for you?" Like. Like, go you. She is a total bitch and she deserves this. Like, but then they, they just never use it ever again. She goes home and she's really upset and she sees the lady who lives next door who's kind of become like her second mom. Who's since... from the, she's the, the chick from Twin Peaks. As who? Audrey. Really? So she's the one who's like all into like 50s style, 60s style? She's the one who's in love with Kyle MacLachlan's character. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's her. Anyway, immediately the first question that she asks her when she sees that she's got like a black eye or whatever it is, she's like, how about a nice boy? That'll fix your whole life. Or girl. Yeah, but it's just like. Whatever you want. What would you like? (laughs) That's all she needs is a relationship and her life will get better. We just need to establish that Mrs. DeLuca is nice and wants what's best. So then she goes next door to her house, and she's supposed to be this poor girl, and they live in this amazing house. Right. Always bothers me. Which, by the way, what did their parents do? Oh, her mom was a painter, and her dad was a saxophonist. How the fuck they afforded that house, I do not know. I think that the implication is that the mom wished for them to be really successful. Right, yeah, I guess. That's a good point. Good call. So her dad gives her the box, and he's like, hey, you're into Chinese stuff. I thought you'd like this. And so she looks at it, and all she reads on it is seven wishes, huh? Well, I wish that whatever the most popular girl's name is would go rot. Yes. And so she And I fully believe that. That's that's something I would do. Yeah, sure. Totally. I don't know that I would... I, I'm the type of person that feels guilty wishing, like, bad things on people. Yeah. So I don't know if I would wish that she would rot, but I'd probably wish that, like... She would stop being such a bitch or whatever. Something like yeah, that. Uh-huh. Or, like, you know, she'd get embarrassed in front of the school or something. Um, but she says, I wish she would rot. And um, then... So then, the next day, 
Uh, the girl wakes up, and for some reason, her best friends have stayed the night. Because you do. It's every whatever. Night. It's not worth mentioning. Uh, so she's actually starting to rot all over her body, and her supposed friend again takes a picture of this and posts it online. Yeah, she gets um necrotizing whatever, basically flesh eating disease. Yeah, yeah, necrotizing fasciitis. Uh, from the spa that she went to after the fight because she chipped a nail, so she went to the spa to get a manicure, and she got necrotizing fasciitis. So Claire's wish had come true. Like, literally, there's no second guessing. The wish came true. Absolutely. So they show up to school, and they find out about this, and they think it's awesome. And then the two friends of the girl... Who, by the way, again, the dude already posted the pic of it because he thought it was hilarious. Then he comes up to them and he asks for money to uh, support her, a GoFundMe project for yeah. her. And they go to them and they ask for money. And it's just like. And he's surprised when they're like, fuck off. Yeah, I don't. This movie doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it really the, doesn't. These characters are not well developed in any way. So. The the real point is the next morning she finds her dog. Yeah, when dead. she gets home from school, is that it? When she she's gets home looking from for her dog, yeah. and she goes under the house and she finds him and he's dead. Yeah, so they bury the dog. Um, the next day she's upset because the the friend of the bitch who's dating Paul is still a bitch to her and she wishes that Paul would fall madly in love with her instead. Which, like, I, I mean, like, if she's starting to think that perhaps her wishes really are coming true because the other girl did get sick or whatever. Yeah. I mean, come on, be more specific. Has she never seen a movie ever in the history of ever? Exactly. Like, or read a on. story about wishes, like anything. Like, she's just super vague. I wish she would fall madly in love with me. It, it's straight out of the craft. This is taken straight out of the craft. She wishes that. She She's like, I wish that that guy would fall madly in love with me because he, like, embarrassed her in front of people or something. I'll give you one guess where this is going. You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And he becomes absolutely obsessed with her, and that's exactly what happens in this movie. And it becomes... Rapey and... and violent. Crazy, and Yeah. And stalker. It goes bad. See, we got the worst of both worlds. We get the box... Where you get a wish and somebody dies and your wish is distorted on you. Like, why both? Just make it clear. Why does it have to be both? We need some focus in this movie. <laughs> Buckus. That's what I was thinking. Focus. Whatever. Because of that, her uncle dies in the bathtub. Which... Was kind of a cool scene. Yeah. It's just kind of weird. He keeps slipping yeah. in the bathtub, which is something that does actually happen. Old yeah. people, it, it's a dangerous thing. And he, he keeps trying to get up and he keeps getting hit again. And so when they find out about this, she immediately goes and wishes that they would get all his money. Yeah, what, what her wish is that her uncle would leave her everything. Yep. And he does. And woohoo, now we're rich. And we get to go on a shopping spree. Etc. Etc. And and this time it's the neighbor lady who's become like her second mom. Yeah, which the scene goes on for about eighty-seven minutes too long. It's very long, 
and oh. it has no reason to be. I think they're trying to build up suspense, but you're not building up suspense. I already know. You've already shown me, movie, that she's going to die. So this scene reminds me a it. lot of Final Destination. It's like, oh, how? Oh, this wants to be the new Final Destination. They want to make a series of these guaranteed. Yeah. And they want it to be the new Final Destination. Like, how is she going to die? And so, like, you think it's going to be that the the fire for her bubbling brew yeah. is going oh, to Oh, but no, she turns it off. Right. Yeah. You think and her then, hand is in the garbage disposal and that's going to be it. Nope. That doesn't happen. Also, who disposes of their vegetables through their garbage disposal? Right. Like the who carrot ends and you're stuff gonna, like you're that. Gonna, you're going to muck up your that pipes. stuff goes in the trash, dog. Yeah. Trash. What? What's happening? Or or a, a compost, if you're that kind of person, which is cool. So she ends up, and the funny thing is, is that they keep showing her, keep showing her that she's so close to the button for the garbage disposal, Who right? would put a button at stomach level in front of the sink where you're going to constantly bump up against it? But so they keep showing how close she is to yeah. it. So then her hair gets caught. In the garbage disposal, she's got, like, a long braid, and it's it's pulling off of her scalp. But suddenly, she's so far away from the button that she can't turn it off. Yes. Physics, people. Yeah. And then Physics. it snaps her neck, and she dies. Yes. And no one finds her, which I think the dog dying, she can see that those two things aren't related. I can see that she's focused on inheriting her uncle's money so she doesn't see that the that the uncle dying was was because of her wish. And she didn't know that Mr. Luca died. So I can see why it takes her a long time to realize that bad things are happening. But once she does realize it. We're not there yet. She just fucking, ugh. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So then, like, her dad's playing the saxophone now. They're rich. Things seem to be going well. Who trips and dies? Uh, this is her fourth wish. She finds her dad rummaging through trash at a thing that all the kids That's are right. at. So she she's thinking everything's going really well, but then she sees her dad has fallen back into his old habits. Right, even though he doesn't have to. Right. And so she wishes that he would just stop being so embarrassing. I wish that my dad would just, just stop being so embarrassing. And... He does. He stops digging through the trash. He picks up the saxophone again, and he starts playing in like a jazz band, and all of her friends are in love with him. Can I say something totally inappropriate? Sure, go for it. Your dad is like serious hot sauce. Like sriracha hot. But we haven't even talked about McFarts. McFarts is her friend. Oh, oh, the cousin. That's who dies. Okay. Yeah, yes. Go. So McFarts is her friend. She's known for a long time. He gets this name because they were playing like Duck, Duck, Goose or something. No, they were just sitting in class and she farted and blamed it on him. And he got the nickname McFarts until the sixth grade or something like that. And so... He offers, you know, my cousin's really into this shit. She could probably translate what's on the box for you. And once again, we have a friend who desperately wants to date this girl. And even though she keeps saying no, we're supposed to be on his side. Yeah, I don't think it's that she keeps saying no. She kind of never says no because he never propositions her. He does at the very beginning. 
Right. He's yeah, I guess that's a good point. That's a good point. You're right. And and she's like, yeah, you know what? I'll do it. And she asks, what's it going to cost, though? Because he says there's a price. And she's like, well, she's really horny for wontons. And a so she's like a slut for wonton. That's what it is. She's a slut for wontons. And so she's like, oh, OK. Like she assumes. I think the assumption is going to be that the price is that he asks her on a date or whatever, you know, but it's not. So and they go. They talk to her. They have this whole research scene and it's really bad. Yeah. And then she sends a picture to a friend of hers who can translate it for her. And. She finds out that there's some really fucking twisted, fucked up shit that this says. I can't even say it. She calls her cousin and is like, oh, it says something. I just, I can't even say it. But you need to know what it is. So you need to come see me or whatever, right? Hey, it's Gina. I got that translation for you and it's messed up. It's actually beginning to freak me out. So uh, call me back. And she drops her phone. And when she goes back inside to go downstairs to get it, she trips and gets impaled through the eye on one of her sculptures. Mm -hmm. That's the price for her dad not being so embarrassing. (laughs) The boy finds his cousin. McFarts finds his cousin. And he finds out what it says. And the really fucked up, twisted thing that she just couldn't say over the phone is that after the seventh wish, there's a blood price. We'll be paid. That phrase Gina couldn't quite translate, it says, when the music ends, the blood price is paid. Um, tell her I said thanks. Like, they they left us hanging on that for way too long for something that just does not pay off. Mm -hmm. It's not totally fucked up. It just says that the blood price will be paid. And And then he gets pissed at our main girl, which I I think is a little unfair at this point. Well, it's a little unfair because, like, she has no reason to know that this is happening. Right. Should she know? Yeah, she probably should. But guess what? She doesn't. No, I get it. there hasn't been hard evidence yet. I get that she doesn't, but at this point... Like, now, she should know. She knows what it says. She knows people are dying every time she makes a wish, except for Mr. Luca. And her friend is really upset about this. And her friend died. And she's still like, no, fuck you. I'm keeping the box and I'm making wishes. Or... No, she's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't make any wishes. Like, she knows to feel guilty about it. Right. So, then... She's walking through the lunch room, and the dude who's obsessed with her now asks her to sit down with him. He's he's broken up with his girlfriend, whatever. Oh, yeah, she, we haven't been talking about that at all. So she sits down, and her friends are like, what the fuck? Right. Why wouldn't she ask him, come and sit with me and my friends? Right, he's obsessed with her. He's going to do whatever. Exactly. And then all of his friends get up and leave. So it's like, why? Because she's not interested in, her, in his friends either. So like, yeah, why? It doesn't make any sense. It's just we're trying to create conflict between her and her friends. Like, and also, if I, I'm, if I was in high school and I had a huge crush on some guy for years and then he finally looks at me and asks me to sit down with him. You know what my friends would have done? They would have been happy for me. Yeah. They wouldn't have been like, oh, you had to go sit with him instead of with us. No, they would have been like, that's awesome, Kelsey. You've been waiting for, you've been waiting years for this. No, it's bad. The movie's bad. It's very bad. So she's, she's still getting, you know. So now at this point, she should know. Yeah. I mean, she knows, she knows for a fact that she's getting her wishes granted. 
And yeah. she knows that her uncle died and she knows that the dude's cousin died and she knows that the box says people will die. Yeah. Like she should know. And that's when this movie just crumbles for me. So she's, this is the part where I was just like, well, fuck this. She wishes that she could be the most popular girl in school because she doesn't like that her friends are being mean to her now and that all the popular kids are mean to her, even though the guy she likes is nice to her. She just wants to be the most popular girl in school. And that's so fucking reckless. And it doesn't even work out the way she wants it to because her friends are still upset with her. Which doesn't make sense because that would mean that she would. No, it does. Because being the most popular girl in high school doesn't mean everyone likes you. It just means the people that care about being interested in popular people like you. And we know already her friends don't give a shit about that. It, it, she didn't wish for people to like her. She wished to be the most popular. And you can be the most popular and still have people dislike you. People dislike popular people all the time. So it's kind of dumb, but she ends up going to this scavenger hunt thing with her friends anyway. And her friend Meredith gets in this giant elevator because she wants to play this augmented reality game on her phone. And a character she's looking for is like on the 23rd floor or whatever. Well, but, but before that, she tells her friends what happened. Yes. And her friends are like, you need to get rid of the box then. Yes. And she's like... But if I do, all the wishes go away. And they're like, yeah, but doesn't it make you a really bad person if you don't get rid of it? Yeah. But then she can't. She's She uh, she becomes obsessed. Right. And so she reveals to Barb in this moment that she never got rid of it, even though she said she would. And Barb's like, that's fucked up. And this is the moment when Meredith's elevator falls. Yeah, she has a pretty great line. That's messed up, Claire. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> and and you know, I like this moment because it plays with us between her father and her friend. I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be her friend, but I like the concept of like we're seeing these moments where either one of them could die and the thing with the father is just so poorly staged where he's under the car. Oh. Yeah, so the they're, lug nut they're falls. making us wonder who's going to die. Yeah. They're putting them all in weird positions. Because that's the only way to keep us tense anymore. Right. Because we know people are going to die for every wish she makes. So now it's a question of who. Uh, but we also skipped a scene with her and the guy that she's she likes. They're like making out or whatever. And he actually has a kind of a funny line. <laughs> he's he's like, um, I was trying to think of something dope before I kissed you. Yeah. Something dope to say. Um, and then they kiss and he's like, that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they are making out. And then, like, she finds out that he's the one that's been stalking her. Duh. Yes. And it's funny. He's, and she's just like, you were in my room last night? And he's like, well, yeah. You mad? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah. So anyway, Meredith dies when the elevator falls and crashes. And then Barb gets pissed off at her and blames her. This is all your fault. Which it is. Yep. Yeah. At this point, I just, I'm I'm checked out. Because it's just like... Claire is a disgusting human being, and she deserves what she gets. Yeah. Yeah. Like, really. Um, there, There's this conversation she has with McFarts about multiverses, and it's like, oh, God, this is going to be a multiverse thing. Like, they mention it twice, but it never really enters into the plot. Nope. So it's like, why even bother fucking trying to use that as an explanation? It's so dumb. Anyways, she well, says- then she runs into- the dude who she's friends with that likes her. Yeah. And I think she's gotten the b box back. Like, at one point, Barb took it, and she goes and gets it from her. 
or whatever. And he's like, hey, I thought you were going to get rid of it. And he's like, you need to get rid of this. And she's just like, I'll use it on you. Yeah. And this I like. I like that she kind of goes crazy. She does. In like a in in like a in in, in like a withdrawals kind of way, like somebody who's addicted to drugs or something like that. She she kind of goes nuts and it's starting to take her over. Not actually, it's not possessing her, but she's becoming obsessed with it. Well, because when Barb took it away, all of her wishes went away. Yes, because if you get rid of it, all the things you wished for are gone. And then it's like it came back like times 10, which again is from the craft. Yeah. <laughs> so she gets it back from Barb and she wishes for her biggest wish yet, the one she should have wished for in the first place, her sixth wish, that her mother had never committed suicide. And she wakes up and her mom's alive. She has two new sisters, twin sisters, and they celebrate her birthday and her dad is working with the guy. They're trimming the tree. And the dude is like on a ladder precariously cutting the tree with a chainsaw. And she realizes, oh, my God, that's the price. When the music stops, the blood price is paid. It's her dad. So she runs out to get her dad away from the dangerous position. I don't know what her plan is. Is she just going to follow her dad around forever? Anyway. Know. He hears her, he turns around, and in doing so, lets go of the ladder and kind of bumps up against it. The dude slips, the chainsaw swings, and it, I don't know, cuts him in the back of the neck or something? We just see it swinging behind his head, and then we see her getting splattered with blood, which is physically impossible. <laughs> it's dumb. And she starts losing it. She goes fucking crazy, which she just saw her dad died. Not surprised. But she finally, finally, finally makes the wish that she should have made. Anyway, her seventh and final wish to go back to the morning that her dad found it. And she goes with them when they go out scavenger hunting, which is ties into the whole fact that the students went on a scavenger hunt. Get it? It's tied together. See, like it rhymes. It's like a poem. It rhymes. <laughs> Again, it's like poetry, so that they rhyme. Anyway, and she finds it first and packs it away, and she goes up to McFarts and tells him, you got to do me a favor. And remember, they're not really talking at this point because they went back far enough. And she's like... He had a crush on her, though. Yeah, but he had a crush on her the whole time, obviously. She hands him the bag that has the box in it and is like, do not look in it and just bury it. Can you do that for me? And he's like, yeah. And she kisses him. And her friends are like, oh, my God. And they're kind of like happy for her. Like, that's the happy for her thing. And he's like stunned. And as she walks back over to them, she gets hit by the bitch. Remember, who's driving recklessly that morning and sails through the air it's like hilarious. in a comical it's shot. Amazing. It is hilariously bad. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And lands on the hood and windshield of another car coming the opposite direction, like it's fucking meet Joe Black or something. And she dies. And zoom in on her eye and, like, credits, right? And then, like, that's the that's the poetic thing. She righted everything, but there was still the blood price that had to be paid after that seventh wish. And then we get a song that says, be careful what you wish yes. for. Yes. <laughs> and then we get a scene at the end... Where McFarts is going to bury the thing, 
and he decides to look in and when he said he wouldn't and he sees what it is and he says seven wishes seven wishes huh which is exactly what she said yes uh uh-huh and the idea is that it's gonna happen all over again sequel fuck i hope not there's no way this movie's getting a sequel so dumb the ending is so dumb i people weren't kidding i don't know how to put this into words it is just so bad that's literally what I have written down here in my notes about an act into the movie. Lightning round, Kelsey. I don't have anything. The soundtrack is so fucking intrusive. Like, every scene, there's a song that's playing full blast, clear as day, with lyrics that have to do with the way you're supposed to be feeling. It's not, none of it's diegetic, and it takes over everything that's happening in the scene. And this happens like four or five times in the movie. It is so fucking intrusive. This movie is like the anti-Wishmaster for me. That's the way I describe it here. It's the anti-Wishmaster. She says at one point, and this is this is what I'm talking about, where the movie is just... It just doesn't know how to be a movie. She literally says, I mean, it hasn't even worked. I'm still miserable. Yep. Like, there is nothing aside from the bitch. Like, oh, this person's a bitch. I'm going to wish for them to rot. Not to not be a bitch. The whole point is, is that she never wishes for what she actually wants. Lindsay Ellis on YouTube, she has a video about Hercules, the uh, Disney cartoon. And she talks about the difference in storytelling between wants and needs. Wants and needs are usually similar, but they are also conflicting. And what this girl wants is she wants to not be miserable anymore. They don't, I think, spend enough time or energy focusing on the fact that she is miserable. She just seems to be upset by things that are upsetting, like somebody ruined her poster. But we never see her just like generally miserable. She's always just upset because bad thing happened. Upset because this well, bad thing happened. Well, her dad's kind of a crazy hoarder. Yeah, and she just tells him stop being a crazy hoarder. We never actually see her be like, my life sucks. Like, that never happens. We kind of are supposed to infer it because her mom committed suicide, but that's not in the movie. What she needs is to no longer be miserable. What she wants is for the bitch to rot and this guy to be obsessed with her and for like, and she just outright says this in the movie. I mean, it hasn't even worked. I'm still miserable. Like it's so fucking on the nose. <laughs> it hasn't really worked. I still I'm miserable. I get it audience. She hasn't wished to not be miserable. None of the things she wished for would lead to her not being miserable. Get it. You could get what you want, but not what you need. Like it's just way too fucking obvious. Yeah. And and it doesn't know how to accomplish that any other way. And so it fails to. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 23. 17. Ah. Wish Upon is neither scary nor original, but its fundamental flaws as a horror movie may make it destination viewing for after midnight camp genre enthusiasts. It's not. No, it's not. I disagree. Yeah, no. It's not interesting It's just enraging. That's how I feel about Wishmaster. Exactly! And this is the anti-Wishmaster. Yeah. Metacritic, it got a 32. CinemaScore, it got a C. What would you give it? Well, first of all, 17. Overrated or underrated? 
It did make me laugh a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I think 17's a little underrated. It's not ma- making me rage as much as some movies I've given 20s and zeros. I'm going to give it a 35. I was going to give it a 27. It's not a good movie, people. It made me laugh a couple times. So I'm not going to lie about that. So that was 2017's Wish Upon, and thus ends our Wish Week. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Our Um, 52nd episode. I'd like to point out again, uh, this was a recommendation week. This was from Will, so thank you, Will. Will, thank you, Will. Wish Upon was garbage. I hope you enjoyed us tearing it apart. And Wishmaster was lovely. It was a delight. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you gave that to us. Thank you, Will. Next week is also a recommendation week. Yeah? From who? From Peter. Okay, what does Peter recommend? Peter recommends People Under the Stairs. Oh, yes, I remember this. And a movie that I had never seen or heard of called The Harvest. But we'll be excited because guess who's in it? Who is in it? Michael Shannon. Oh, yes. Yes, Peter, thank you. Yes, thank you, Peter. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Peter knows and Will knows and a few other people know that I actually respond to these emails. When they come in, if I haven't responded to your email yet, I apologize. I think there's one or two I still haven't responded to. But then I I give the movies to Kelsey. She puts them on the list. And so I have no idea when they're going to come up. So I'm excited to see this one. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. It's The People Under the Stairs and The Harvest. Mm-hmm. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment there to share your thoughts on these movies, or you can recommend one or two, just like Will and Peter have. You can also do that via our email, podcemetery at gmail.com, or Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcatcher of choice. Second best thing, share us with your friends. Best thing, thank you so, so much for listening. As always, we really, really appreciate it. Until next week, I've been Chris. I have been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, do you have any parting wisdom to share with the audience? Run and tell those you will what you will. Tell them there is something loose in their city which feeds on wishes. But tell them quickly while you still have a soul. Oh my god. What? What? Are all your notes gone? I literally just accidentally pressed the fucking delete button. Shake it? Does it ask you if you want to undo? Yes. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. <laughs> what were we saying? I I don't know. I don't know. It's it's so fucking reckless. Anyways, I'll I'll take that out because it's just repeating. I thought I was saying something new and it turns out I wasn't. 
same thing to you. We are literally in the same position. But I'm right. <laughs> you might actually be. Or you can leave a comment. Fucking, uh, fucking, fuck it, fuck it, fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck it. <laughs>